Uh, we are in Isaiah 53 now, and again, we'll be here for a little while. I, could, I can camp on this chapter for a long time, and, and maybe will. We're looking at just the first three verses, and I'm going to ask, we have a, I'm going to try to work with dim light here, uh, just a slideshow of different pictures of Jesus as people have imagined him through the years, and some of these are fairly recent, some of them are very old, and they're, they're pictures of Jesus, and, and uh, if, you, if you've ever seen a visual representation of Christ where Jesus didn't stand out as unique in appearance, <laughs> if if you the, the, there's the the way he dresses, uh, you know, picture. I mean, in Sunday school, Jesus is always in a white robe. By the way, it's perfectly clean, and and it's and it's got. He's either wearing a red sash or a blue sash, and, and uh, we it's it's just that's how we know it's Jesus, because uh, that's how he dressed, right? Uh, Someone asked, why is Jesus always wearing red and blue? And I thought, well, I don't see him always in red and blue. So I did a little looking. And you know what? In The Last Supper by uh, Da Vinci, thank you. I, I was going to say Rembrandt, and I knew that wasn't right. Uh, by, by Leonardo Da Vinci, The Last Supper, he's wearing blue and red. And I seriously doubt Jesus walked around dressed in blue and red, but they're not necessarily trying to show what, what he exactly looked like in that point. There's a reason for it. And, and if you look at it, the, everything in that picture has a, has a meaning. The great amount of thought these masters put into it. But, but the colors had meaning. And the red probably was to symbolize his blood. Probably to symbolize the price he was to pay. The blue is probably, you know, reflecting the sky, nobility, glory, eternity, all the things that sky would, would carry with it. And, and there, there's meaning to that. But for most of the time, they make Jesus look a little bit different because uh, you, you need to recognize him. And so they almost always, have you, have you ever seen Jesus not taller than all the disciples? And, and if you watch the Chosen series, there's one disciple who's taller than Jesus, and his name is? James the Great, <laughs> or, or that, that's how he's classically known, but, but Big James is what they call him, call him there, which is, would be the thing. And, and so there's the one guy, you know, there's the one guy who's bigger than him, and that guy is Big James, but he's just barely taller. And, and Jesus is made to stand out. Uh, the, you see the red sash there? It's, it, we're just going to go through. It'll probably take the, the message mostly to, to get through all that. I don't know. Uh, it's it's to, to make, basically so that we recognize who he is, but Jesus did not stand out in a crowd. We know that he did not stand out in a crowd because here is his description. Isaiah 53, 1 through 3. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we would look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we had no regard for him. That's what it says about him. Uh, we, the, in, in images, we always make him, they, because I don't do it, <laughs> always make him to stand out in, one, in some way or another. Uh, and, but in reality, he did not stand out. He would so easily be lost in the group, because that's what it tells us. So today we're going to look at two truths about Jesus. First, that he did not appear to be anything special. And second, that he was, in fact, despised and rejected. So verses 1 and 2, nothing special to look at. Uh, verse 1 uh, says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, they're saying Jesus did not make a convincing argument to be the Messiah. 
Who believed it? They looked at him, they said, who believes that? Uh, as we look at this, they go on and they, they, they say because he had no stately form or majesty, you know, he, he grew up this way, he was just normal looking, he was not special, he was not outstanding. He, he was not a convincing argument. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Because it's right there, but they didn't see it. Right in front of them, they were looking for the Messiah. Here he is, and they go, that ain't him. Uh, they, they did not believe that was him. Uh, they are not buying the report that this man is the one. And you know, packaging is important. Madison Avenue would not have done this. <laughs> Madison Avenue would have given you a Jesus like our movies and TV shows and artists do, where they make Jesus stand out. He is unique. He, he's got the he's the one with the halo. And if everybody's got a halo, his is bigger, right? Uh, that, that's the, because he is unique. They make him stand out. They could have taught God a thing or two, right? Except God did it right, not them. They would make him tall. They would make him handsome. They would have given him that personal magnetism and charisma. We had a guy in our church in Spokane. His name was Eric. Joan was in here. She'd be laughing already. <laughs> Eric, Eric was the guy. He was the one that had he walked onto a movie set, they would have assumed he was the star. I swear, I am not kidding. You could tell when Eric walked into the room by the reaction of the women in that room. Even the little old ladies went, <laughs> God could have used Eric. <laughs> you know, he could have packaged him like Eric. By the way, I saw Eric 30 years later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Eric, if you're watching this, sorry, you gained some weight, buddy. So <laughs> you did the rest of us a favor. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, God, could have, God could have done that with Jesus. He could have made him the one, but God specifically did not do that. He made him the guy that did not stand out, the one who blended in. Uh, he had, uh, we make him handsome, we make him tall, we give him a sash uh, and a robe, uh, and we have expectations of great people. Right? The great people are to be tall. In some way, they're to be larger than life. In some way. You know, I heard it said, I read this somewhere, maybe, probably 20 years ago. They said, we'll never again have a fat president because TV makes them just not someone we want to vote for. And I'm going, you know, but in the days, because we had some presidents who were fairly large. I think it was Taft, they said, was the fattest president. And they described his size. I'm going, wow. Because he would never make it today because people would not respect him based on his looks. and They wouldn't vote for him. doesn't matter how good a president he might be otherwise. Uh, he didn't look right, but, but it was not a problem. It's not a problem with God because man looks on the outward appearance, but God does not see as man sees. God looks on the heart. That's a, a paraphrase of a verse we find in 1 Samuel about David. Uh, so to, we ask the question, to whom has the armor of the bin, Lord been revealed? And the answer is not these guys. Not to these guys. Here he is right in front of them. There he is on display, and they don't see him. There he is, God's right arm. The word by whom God spoke creation into existence. There he is right in front of them, and they miss him. Because the packaging is not what they expect to see. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. <laughs> now, I don't want to... You... you what word do you, and of course this is the way the New American Standard, the new New American Standard phrases it, no appearance that we should take pleasure in him. But there is a way, is there a way to say that he was still good looking? And if he wasn't good looking, <laughs> can I get blasted for this? <laughs> you know, I, I, I think he probably, of course that's not a very good look, I don't like that one. So maybe, you know, anyway. Um, he had no stately form or majesty. 
It says he grew up like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. And, and uh, I had a feeling for what I felt like this was saying, but I thought I'd check it out. And none of the commentaries agree with me, so they're all wrong together. <laughs> now, what the commentaries do with that is they, they try to say that it's saying, it's talking about the poverty that he grew up in. That, that he grew up uh, in extreme poverty, that uh, it was not a likely place for someone great to come from, uh, that someone would come from such poverty to do that. But I, I have a hard time accepting that as the answer because it's describing his appearance in here. And coming out of poverty doesn't make you not attractive. Uh, I, I don't think. But, but if a root grows out of dry ground, do you know what I picture? I picture scraggly. I picture a scraggly root coming out of dry ground. You know, something big and lush and, and, and vibrant and juicy comes out of wet ground. And something dry and scraggly, picture the, you know, the scraggly tree growing on the side of the, the cliff or something where it doesn't get much moisture, but somehow it still hangs on. And I picture it as describing his, his appearance. I'm probably wrong. The others are probably right. I gave you both sides, to be fair. Uh, but, but I like the one that's, that's describing his looks because the rest of this is describing his looks. Uh, the, the physical looks of this guy. We know Jesus had to be strong. He was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. But, you know, some guys are skinny and scrawny and, and strong, which fits more with an actual picture of the poverty of that area, uh, and, and not big and bold and buff like, like we might like to see. Uh, but it's, it's um, giving a point across that we get across either way that he was not likely uh, he, was, he was not recognized for who he should be. His form could have been more stately and majestic. He could have been someone that you looked at and said, wow, a natural leader. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I go back to Saul, the first king of Israel, right? They said he stood head and shoulders above the rest of the people, and everybody was like, ooh, ah, when he became king. And when he was being replaced, and Samuel went to anoint David, David's brothers were all there. David was out with the sheep, and his first brother, Eliab, was there. And Samuel looked at him and said, oh, this is the one, because he's tall, he's good-looking, he's handsome. And that's where God said, do not be deceived by his outward appearance, for the God looks, sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And, and, and we have these things we expect. Even, even Samuel the prophet looked at, at, at the big, tall, handsome one and said, it's, he's not the one. But there's, there's nothing about Jesus physically that would draw people to him. He was not tall. I do not believe he was burly. Uh, by the way, I don't believe he was soft or feminine either. You know, I don't think we turn Jesus into a little girl uh, and, and make him, I mean, he was meek and mild, but he was not, you know, a horse can be mild, uh, strong still. I don't think it means he was ugly because I don't want to go that far. But if I had to choose between ugly or handsome, I think I have to go with ugly. Right? And, and, and somewhere more along that line. Somewhere in these slides, there's going to be a picture of Jesus that looks more like a photograph of a guy that just goes, that ain't Jesus. And that photograph, by the way, at the top, you'll see it'll say Popular Mechanics. And, and it is based on, on, they did a conglomeration of what men from the Middle East they think looked like at that day. And they kind of put it all together and made it every man. And that's one that's most likely, probably, what Jesus looked like. And by the way, that one doesn't have a beard either. But you look at it and you go, Oh, because <laughs> that ain't especially attractive. Uh, I suspect Jesus was shockingly ordinary. I think he was, was shockingly ordinary. So he, he, I think he was the guy who, who, if he chose to, could easily get lost in a crowd. Just start walking into the crowd and everybody starts going, where was he? And, and, and uh, you, you can picture the police coming up to get the description. They say, well, what did he look like? Well, he was average height, average build, 
black hair, because everybody has black hair, brown eyes, because everybody there had brown eyes, uh, olive complexion, because everybody had olive complexion. <laughs> what was he wearing? Uh, normal clothes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, thank you very much, we'll arrest him immediately, uh, because we don't know. Now, Jesus, at the same time, had to be unique. Jesus was absolutely unique, but it had nothing to do with his appearance. Because the Bible tells us he had no stately form or majesty that we should be drawn from. Nothing in his appearance that we would take pleasure in him. Nothing we'd look and go, you know, the ladies in the room don't all go, oh, unless maybe Peter's walking with him, you know, because I think Peter was that guy. Uh, but Jesus, Jesus had to stand out. He was perfectly sinless. Jesus had that character that, that you could always rely on him. He was always honest. He always did what he said he would do, right? He was good. He's the kind of guy that you don't notice when he does something good, but you notice when he does something bad because he's out of character. But it's kind of like, you know, in your house, you don't notice the things that are right. You notice the things that are wrong. You walk into the house, and there's a shirt kind of, you know, two-thirds over in the middle of the floor. The rest of the house is spotless. Do you think you notice that? You notice this. Jesus was like that. He did not stand out normally because people just took it for granted. He's not doing anything wrong. He blends in. You don't see him. But, but had they ta ta to look, stopped to look at how perfect he was, they would have, would have seen it. He was not the student voted, voted, voted most likely to succeed. He was just Jesus. right? He, he's, the, he's that good guy. He was probably more of an oddity than anything else uh, it, among the people that knew him. And I don't think anyone expected him to come to much. Right? Nice guys finish last. And that's where they saw Jesus and what they expected of him. That, that's, I mean, that's what I look at when I see this. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look at him, nor an appearance that we should take pleasure in him. And then we go, and he continues, and we see, but... I mean, not only was he not attractive and winning in his appearance and looks, but people went the other step and despised and disdained him. Uh, it was, they went farther. He was despised and he was rejected, or despised and abandoned is how this one says it. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness. Or we'll look at that word sickness a little bit. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we had no regard for him. So I like despised and rejected just because that's what I know. It's what I'm familiar with. But it says in this one, despised and abandoned. And of course, we know even his disciples abandoned him. When he was arrested, you know, two of them tried to stand up and, and be with him. He says, no, don't, don't, you know, Peter, put your sword away. And they, they fled too. Uh, and he was abandoned. The shepherd is struck and the sheep flee. Uh, and, and so he was abandoned. He was despised. And I, yet, it makes you wonder, what was Pilate's inflection when he said, are you the king of the Jews? Because it's like, oh, are you the one? Are you the king of the Jews? Or is it like, are you the king of the Jews? Yeah, it's like, you, you got to be, you? You're, you're nobody, but you're, 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 you are Joe Ordinary, right? You, you are not because you, know, you, you, you hear, here's, because he, what was he, what they say about him? He's trying to overthrow Caesar. He's trying to win the crowd. He's, he's, he's turning everybody against you. And, and so who do you picture to walk in? You know, someone big, someone impressive, someone fearful, and in walks this guy? I'm sorry, if, if I was, if I was, if Jesus was played by me, <laughs> I'd walk in and they'd go, 
no, no, we want the one who's causing the trouble. <laughs> you know? And, and I, I, I wonder if that's not what Pilate was saying when he saw Jesus. You? I thought it was somebody else. I, I thought you'd be bigger. <laughs> you know, I thought you'd be taller. Uh, I thought you'd, you know, what if Jesus was balding? <laughs> is, is that heresy to say? Because it fits the description. He was a 30-year-old man or 33-year-old man, whatever, you know, where, where that falls exactly. Uh, he could have been balding easily. Are you the king of the Jews? I was expecting someone different. They accused him of blasphemy. This is under that heading of despise. He was despised. They accused him of blasphemy. They sought to kill him. They challenged him at every opportunity they had. It's like they followed him around and hunted down opportunities to, 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 to challenge him. In fact, when I say it's like they did, it's not like they did. They actually did. They came to him with traps, right? Hey, this guy had this, you know, the, you know how the Bible says, if it, and this was a Bible custom, if a man is, is married to a woman and she, he dies before they have children, his brother's supposed to come in and produce a child for the brother and so on. And Jesus, yeah, and the guy says, okay, so there was a woman who, who you know, married a man and he died and so his brother came in and he died and his brother came in and he died. There were seven brothers. They all died. Which one's married to her in heaven? Right? It was a trap. It wasn't, they didn't have an honest question. Gee, I'd really like to know how this works. They didn't believe in the resurrection at all. Jesus slapped them down. He said, he said you guys are, don't, don't believe in the law. That's your first problem. He says, but just so you know, there's no... Uh, they, he said, you don't believe in the resurrection. That, that's what they were trying to prove. But he says, just so you know, there's no marriage in heaven. And he dealt with their trap. And when the Pharisees came and said, who's, who's, who, uh, do, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They specifically set a trap for them. I can picture them sitting around for hours in a room together trying to figure out what is the best trap we can set for Jesus that will, will pin him down. And so they, they said, there, hey, I got one. Because, and and the, it was such a trap because if he said, well, yeah, you pay your taxes, and they say, say to the people, see, he served Caesar. And if he says, no, don't pay the taxes, and they go to Caesar and say, see, he doesn't pay taxes. And, and so they sat there and they came up with the best trap, and then they came when he's in front of a crowd, and they jump him from essentially ambush, cold. You know, I hate to take things cold. I like to have time to think about them so I can make my mistakes over time. <laughs> uh, and, and Jesus, of course, comes up with the best answer, whose image is on this coin? And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to what is God is what is God's. But they were literally hunting him down uh, to challenge him, to make him look bad. Why? Because they respected him? No, because they despised him. They were, try they were trying to make him look bad in front of everybody. You challenge somebody you dislike. And, and despise, when I hear the word despise, I usually think emotional. But it doesn't have to be emotional. Despise can simply be something that you don't have any regard for. And they did not have any regard for. For Jesus. Uh, so they accuse him of blasphemy. They sought to kill him. They challenge him. They question him. They accuse him of having a demon. They said it's by the power of demons that he drives out demons. And, and of course, Jesus answered, A house divided cannot, be, uh, cannot stand. But, but uh, they, they did not respect him. They disdained him. They despised him. They considered him of no value, of no worth. They hated him. And he is a man of pain and familiar with sorrows. And, and so I, I, it just sounded wrong to me. A man of sorrow and familiar with suffering is, is another version. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief is another suffering. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. I looked this up in like seven translations, and, and those were the three that I bothered to write down. Uh, he was a man of sorrow. He was a man of suffering. Uh, we get these different ideas. That word sickness can mean grief, that kind of thing. Jesus was a man of sorrows. One of my favorite pictures of Jesus, and I actually don't have it in this, this, oh, there's the guy. That's the one I was talking about. Oh, he does have a beard, yeah. 
anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, probably, I mean, the most likely rendition of Jesus you'll ever see. Sorry. Uh, when does uh, popular mechanics ever lie? So, <laughs> uh, now I've got to get back to my point. <laughs> Come on, notes. Um, One of my favorite pictures is, is Laughing Jesus, is the title of it. And it's a picture of Jesus. It, the setting is on the boat, on the Sea of Galilee, after the resurrection. Uh, it's just sailing. It's, it's, it's just a, a picture set at that point in his existence. And he's just laughing. And it's, it's such a joyful, positive picture. I love that picture. But he was a man of sorrows. And think about it. Jesus wept. Right? We all know that verse. We learn it because it's short. We can say I learned a verse. John 16, 34. Uh, no, John eleven thirty four. 34, I think. Uh, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? In the story, Lazarus has died. Jesus is on his way to resurrect Lazarus. Not, not new body, but you know, bring him back to life. Uh, He's on his way to meet Lazarus, or to meet to get Lazarus, and he's speaking with Mary and Martha. And these women are weeping because their brother is dead, and they feel the grief. Anybody who's ever lost a loved one knows that feeling, and you weep. And there's nothing you can do about it if you want to. The sadness is overwhelming; it's it's overpowering. But Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. Right? Jesus is on his way to give him back his life. Jesus. Why is he weeping? And, and the answer is, is he feels compassion. He is, he is, he's not weeping for his loss. He didn't lose anything. He's weeping for their loss, even though he knows that loss is going to be restored. I suspect Lazarus outlived them all. I don't know. But uh, I kind of think if Jesus gives you back life, <laughs> you keep it for a while. Uh, but, but they're weeping, and he feels their pain. It's their pain, and he feels it. Luke 19.41. Jesus, by the way, was a man of sorrows, not for his own pain and suffering, which we could understand well enough, but for others. Luke 19.41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it saying, if you had known on this day, even you, the conditions for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes for the days will come. And he goes on and talks about the suffering that's going to come on Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that, that rejected him. Jerusalem, the city that is about to crucify him. Jerusalem, the city that on one day is going to say, Hosanna to the son of David. On the next day, they're going to say, crucify him. Not next day, but you know, just a few days later. Uh, crucify him. That city of Jerusalem. The, the, the one that, that he has been there preaching and teaching and, and they're still trying to kill him. That Jerusalem, he weeps over. And he's not weeping over the saved ones and the suffering they're going to have. He's weeping over the lost ones that have rejected him and because they've rejected him of the pain they're going to feel. And he is a man of sorrows because, because he has pain and sorrow for us. And he is a man of sorrows and we reject him who hurts so badly because of his love for us. Jesus knew sorrow. He came for a purpose. 
He came because he was motivated by such intense love. Right? Love is his motivation. For God so loved the world. It's, it's, it's like, I, I want to say that's more important than he gave his only begotten son. But we, we, it's just like the, the reason why. Why did he give, give his only son? Because he loved the world so much. Right? He, he is motivated by such intense love, and he sees that love rejected. He sees the sacrifice he's making rejected. He sees what he wants to do to save these people being rejected. And his sorrow is not for his own sake, but it's for theirs. And his sorrow is intense. His sorrow is intense. He is, he is a man of sorrows and familiar with pain. Suffering and pain. And I'm not going to revisit last week's sermon. Where I talked about the, the, the suffering and pain that he had. Uh, but I will look at Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. Which is in connection with some of the verses we looked at. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. And if you want a picture of determination that will not be turned or swayed, think of the picture, set my face like flint. Jesus would not be stopped from what he came to do. A face that would not move, would not turn. He was, he was determined to do this, and he was going to do it. He was familiar with suffering and pain, and no amount of suffering or pain would turn him from what he came to do. He would not, you could not hit him hard enough or often enough or wound him badly enough that, that he would turn from the pain. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with pain. Back to Isaiah 53, and like one from whom people hide their faces. Like one we avoid. The person you hide your face from. You don't want to make, I'm going to put Josh Angel on the spot. Where'd he go? Did he step out back? That rat. He, did somebody warn him? He's probably back saying hi to John. <laughs> Josh, Josh Angel shovels our, our walk. And I pay him for, for that. He just shows up and does it when it's needed, and then I pay him. And I was behind significantly <laughs> on paying him. And, and I'd see him walk in, and I'd go, oh, I don't have his money. Guess who avoided eye contact with Josh Angel? <laughs> right? It's like, oh man, I gotta go talk to someone over here. <laughs> Why did I avoid eye contact? Because I was guilty and I knew it, and he was right. He didn't do anything wrong. I did something wrong. I was not, I did not have the cash on hand to pay him, and so I avoided him. I was in debt to him for something good he had done that benefited me. I used to shovel the rocks. A couple years ago, I said, hey, guys, I'm getting old. <laughs> I want someone else to shovel the rocks. We haven't had a really big snowfall since. But <laughs> uh, person you don't make eye contact with, someone you owe an apology to, and you don't want to make it. You know you're the one who did the wrong thing, and you don't want to admit it. You don't want to own up to it. 
You're the one who backed into that car in the parking lot. <laughs> and you know it, but nobody saw. But because you know it, every time you see that person, you just... <sighs> Tell you what, just pay the price. Get it over with. You feel shame. And if you see each other, you'll have to acknowledge it. So even though you see the person, you pretend... And I, and I know that everybody can associate with what I'm saying, right? Unless, unless you're that one person that's never had this problem. Looking, looking. Eli, is that you? <laughs> yeah, unless you're the one person who's never had that problem. We all know what it's like to avoid eye contact because we're guilty. Or we feel shame. Or we've done wrong. Uh, and, and we're trying to pretend that everything's okay. Jesus, like one from whom we hide our faces. Jesus was that for so many people. The story of the ten lepers, I'm just telling a lot of, a lot of Jesus stories today. <laughs> Jesus and the ten lepers, right? There are ten lepers. He sees them. They say, Lord, if you will, you can make us clean. He says, go and show yourself to the priests. As they went on their way, they were cleansed. One of them came back and thanked him. And the story goes on and talks about that one being a leper, but that's not the point I'm focusing on. I'm thinking about the other nine. How much longer was Jesus alive? How many more times did these guys see Jesus? And nine of them, who were healed from leprosy by him, avoid him because they knew they did not do, do what they should have done. And one, every time he saw Jesus, got to run up to him and hug him again and say, I, my life is so good. Thank you so much uh, for what you have done for me. Because the one did, but the others have to hide their faces. The story of the rich young ruler who went away sad because he had much wealth. Right? Do you think he made eye contact with Jesus next time he saw him? Or the next time, unless he finally did what Jesus said, he never did. He was one from whom he, he, we hide our faces. And it's not because Jesus did anything wrong, but because we become ashamed to look at him. The Pharisees, think of the story of the Pharisees who brought to Jesus the woman caught in adultery. Right? They bring her to, bring her to him. He's sitting at the temple. And, and they bring her to him, and they say, this woman was caught in adultery. Uh, the, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus didn't answer. Yeah, he, says, he, he starts drawing on the sand. We don't know what he drew. And he says, says uh, let him without sin cast the first stone. And eventually, one by one, those Pharisees left starting with the oldest till he got to the youngest, and, and they left. I don't know what Jesus was writing on the ground. I like to think it was something that revealed to these guys. Some people say it was the Ten Commandments. Good answer. Start writing the Ten Commandments to people who think that. He says he was out thin, cast the first stone, and he starts writing the Ten Commandments. And these men see their sins written out. Others say, and this one's the most fun, it's least likely, that he started writing names of women that these guys had sinned in similar ways with. <laughs> and as they saw the names of their sins written out, that they said, I've got to get out of here. Either way, I, I'm, I'm convinced it was shame that, that took them away. I am convinced it was shame. They left feeling shame as they saw their sinfulness and unworthiness to cast that first stone. 
and they realized that he was right. And more than they realized that he was right, that they realized that he knew, that they knew that they were wrong. So many people owe Jesus so much that they would not give. They owed him an apology. They owed him thanks. They owed him worship. And they would not give them. And because they knew he, they owed this to him and they would not give it to him, they, they hid their faces from him. They would not make eye contact. One you hide your face from. He says, he was despised. Moving on. He was despised and we had no regard for him. We did not value him. Or we did not esteem him. And I don't, you know what I don't like there? It, it, for some reason it hits me here, even though it's been in here uh, before, uh, is that pronoun we. If it said he was despised and people had no regard for him, then I have no problem with it because it's other people. <laughs> and men had no regard for him. I have no problem with it. And they had no regard. I still don't have a problem with it. But when it says we, <laughs> he's accusing me. Steve, you did this. I don't like that. I can't escape from that. It doesn't let me. I can't, I can't say, I can say other people, I can say other men, I can say they, but I can't say other we. Because <laughs> I'm part of we and I can't be another part of it. And I think about that, and I remember my life before I came to Christ, how many times I heard the story of Christ. I mean, I was not raised Christian, but I was raised in a Catholic grade school. They, they tried to make me Catholic. <laughs> it kind of worked for a while. I heard the stories. It was like water off a duck's back. It didn't mean anything. It didn't do anything. I, I wonder how many times I heard of the suffering of Christ. We had Good Friday. We had Easter. We had, we had these stories. We knew these things. I think of how many times people shared Christ with me. And I don't know how many of you had an experience like I did, but it was like, you know how, how they stick, kick me things on the back of people's back when they don't know it? I'm, I, I'm convinced someone stuck something on the, my back that said, share Christ with him. <laughs> because I had people coming out of the blue sharing Christ with me. And, and I considered them all to be weird. I did not want to listen to any of them, but God was breaking me down, I think. He said, it's going to take a lot of doing to get this guy. And he was breaking me down because more and more people came and did it. And my opinion of them was that they were weird. I didn't think, boy, this keeps happening. Maybe there's a message. Maybe God is trying to tell me something. I didn't think that. I had no regard for them. I didn't care. I wish they'd leave me alone these people who kept coming and sharing Christ with me. How many of you have had someone walk up to you in, in the Kmart parking lot and share Christ with you? See what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I, some guy looked and said, oh, he's got the sticker, you know, the, the thing on his back. It's like, um, that was a typical experience for me in those days. But I didn't care. I heard it. I knew it. But I didn't care. I had no regard for him. And despise is a strong word, but it's like I said, it doesn't have to be an emotional word. But think about this. Someone pays the highest price 
to give you the greatest gift to meet your deepest need and you don't care. That's despising the gift. That's despising the gift. It doesn't also always mean an emotional hatred. I never despised Jesus in the sense of I hate him, but I despised what he did for me because I didn't care about it. He gave me this awesome gift, and I said, yeah, I don't need it, thanks. When you reject Jesus, you despise him. You think little of him. So all this, some of you, as I've walked through this whole thing of hiding your face from him and turning your eyes and not seeing him, some of you, as you've heard this, you're remembering when. When you felt that way. You're saying, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. And some of you, I might be describing how you feel right now. Okay? I'm not writing, writing this. I'm not saying this for the sake of those of you who remember when, except maybe as a reminder or a warning. But this is for the sake of you who say, oh no, that's what I'm doing right now. If that is a description of you right now, what do you owe Jesus? You owe him a confession? You owe him an apology? You owe him gratitude? You know what you do with that thing you owe Jesus? You give it to him. And you can restore eye contact. I can look at Josh Angel now. (laughs) Not only that, I can tell a story about him. And now I get to make fun of him because I told the story and he wasn't here to hear it. (laughs) Now he's going to walk around doing this. (laughs) It's my turn. (laughs) Uh, You can restore eye contact with Jesus. You can restore yourself to that place where you can look him in the eye. And you can speak to him and not feel shame or guilt or grief. Jesus was the ultimate prophet without honor. He didn't look like much. People made the mistake of thinking he wasn't much. But when we reject him, it's not because of anything wrong with him. It's because of something wrong with us if we reject him. And that's why we need him so badly. Do not reject him as your Lord. Do not reject him as your Savior. Because he is both, and you need him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you died on that cross to pay for everything I needed because you love me, because you want to save me, because you want to restore me to yourself, you want to give me fellowship. Dear Jesus, I have done things to break that fellowship. I have done things to destroy it. And, and I, I shouldn't be able to look you in the eye, but I know you forgive me. Lord, I ask for myself and for every one of us that we accept that forgiveness, that we walk in restoration and in fellowship with you. I pray in Jesus' name.